Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. From an undisclosed location somewhere in Los Angeles, California, this is Matt Harrigan with the Adult Swim podcast, Rick and Morty Companion Edition. On this episode, Rick and Morty number 404, Edge of Tamorty, Rick Die, Rick Pete. I'm talking to some of the people who made this episode and who were kind enough to talk to me about it, including director Erica Hayes and Mike McMahon, who wrote the episode. We'll also hear from longtime art director James McDermott, music composer Ryan Elder, character designers Elisa Phillips and Carrie Kilpella, and dialogue editor Nick Raczynski, all of whom offer up a few colorful tidbits about the show, which, as you might hear some of these folks say, had the in-house working title, Crystal. Here we go. Erica Hayes. Yes. Tell me what your job is here. I am a director. Where'd you come from? What's your background? Um, my first real paid animation job was season one of Rick and Morty uh, as a storyboard revisionist. What's your evolution from season one to now? How did you evolve to directing an episode? Well, uh, so I started off as a storyboard revisionist, which is basically just a cleanup um, artist. And from there... By end of season one, I got promoted to storyboard artist. Because you learn a lot from being the revisionist. Yes, I learned a lot. Um, and the, you know, Mike Mandel and Justin and the creators were um, kind of, they, they took a chance on me and, and they were like, let's see if, if she can, let's see if she's ready for more. So, you know, I, I then I got promoted to storyboard artist and I was a storyboard artist on seasons two and three. And then after season three, um, they said they were ready to promote me again. <laughs> wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that a conversation you go in and you sit down and they tell you this news and it's exciting? Um, yeah, sort of. It, w- it was like, it was sort of being whispered here and there that, you know, it might, they might be considering it. And I think, you know, Justin might've me- mentioned it casually one day and Wes Archer might've mentioned it and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, put their feelers out with me to see if I'd be interested in doing something like that. And, and I w- very much was. So, um, I think it was Mike Mendel who made it official and reached out to me and said, okay, it's, we're going forward with it. We'd like to have you as a director. How has it evolved from, from one since you've been here? Has the tone changed? Has the complexity changed? What's different in season four? I would definitely say the complexity has changed. Um, I think, like I was saying earlier, we, we've all just felt the pressure to step it up with each new season. Um, and like very much there's a feeling of we have to top the last one because, um, you know, season one was sort of, you know, easy and, you know, carefree just because it was brand new and, and and it was still uncertain whether it would even be a success or not a huge success. And it, and it was. Um, so then, you know, the fan, the fans are like, okay, now give us more. Right. <laughs> and then Pressure we have with to, success. yeah, yeah. So how do you go about directing Rick and Morty? What's, what's, is there a philosophy behind it? Um, well, 
there was no guidebook for me and <laughs> there was no training really. It's kind of something that you take, uh, you, you, for, for animation specifically, it's sort of like you watch what your directors did and, and the way that they worked with you. And then you kind of take what you like from all the directors you've ever worked with and you put that into the way that you direct and in your style of directing. So for me personally, um, I don't, I don't like to, you know, um, thumbnail out everybody's scenes for them and then, you know, just have them basically clean it up and give it back to me. I like to see what they can bring to the table because every storyboard artist has their own specific strengths. And I like to find out what those strengths are. So if someone is really great at, um, you know, action scenes or something, I, I, I'll assign those scenes to that person. And then if someone is, you know, maybe stronger with just dialogue, simple back and forth scenes, then I will give them that. And then, you know, so I, we, I like delegate that way. And then they kind of, we, we like basically talk it out in the launch. They go off and they do their thing. And then they give me a really rough version of sort of what we went over. And from there, I kind of, you know, give my notes and say, I think we could make these changes here to make this better. Um, you know, maybe this isn't hooking up here. And, and for me, I'm, I'm very concerned about, um, um, I'm very concerned about staging, very concerned about the flow of the episode cuts, um, you know, rules of cinematography and filmmaking, like, you know, not crossing the 180 unnecessarily and things like that. So I'm always looking out for that stuff and, um, and any, any way that we could, you know, just make it read better to the audience is my main concern. So then after the note process, they, they'll go back to the drawing board and they'll make those changes. And it's, it's very collaborative. It's very back and forth talking it out until, you know, I'm satisfied and, and they're satisfied. And then we have something to turn in. Walk us through the evolution of Crystal. I get the script. Um, I have to break it up basically, and, and assign, make sure I'm assigning a fair amount of pages to everyone and a fair amount of scenes to everyone. Fair meaning without overloading people. Without overloading people, without, you know, giving, that that's always a concern is, is the balance of giving, you know, everybody sort of the same amount of work. So if someone has like super action heavy stuff, that stuff takes longer. So they might have less pages than someone else, but the other person has, you know, simple scenes that are mostly just talking. So it's, it's very, you know, so, so you break it up that way. And then, um, and then you launch the episode with the writers and the designers and, you know, we, the writers kind of page through it with, with us. And we all sort of, they sort of talk about their visions for certain things. And, and I'm asking questions just for clarification. Cause I just want to make sure that we're bringing their vision, you know, to life. And, um, the designers are asking questions on the design end just to make sure they have a clear vision too, of what it, you know, certain characters will look like or certain backgrounds and things like that. And then we all kind of just, split. <laughs> we all kind of just scatter and 
go our separate ways. And um, I usually take some uh, scenes for myself to storyboard too, just because it's fun and and I I, I miss you know storyboarding. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to just direct. I would still want to storyboard. So I take a little bit for myself too. Which and scenes did you did you take for yourself in this? I know I took uh, Morty. Uh, Nazi Morty in in the spaceship with Rick holding him hostage while um, Gearhead is in the in the back seat. Right. Yeah, I, I did that scene, and then they you know end up in space. And then I I took um, the very ending where they're back at the house and 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 then you know Morty and and Rick are going on their. They're like, yeah, Rick and Morty forever, you know, a hundred years, blah, 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 again. And um, and then Summer comes in and kind of ruins the moment. What stands out in Crystal? Think, look, looking at the, at the whole episode, from a viewer's perspective, what are, are there things that you'd like to point out to people? I just personally love the whole Rick dying and keep wait and continually waking up in, in these alternate worlds where he's a shrimp and he's a teddy bear and and and, and then ultimately a wasp that's per- my personal favorite part of the episode i it just makes me laugh so hard and, and and then you know getting chased by shrimp fascists and killed like yeah it's pretty i i just i think it's pretty great what what are interesting things that you can point out to the viewer on a casual viewing they might not notice? Well, definitely I would try and maybe like pause it or slow it down so you can really see the crystal deaths. Yeah. Because there are some really, really good ones in there. Um and oh gosh, the crystals went through so many different versions of, of how we were going to make them look and and how they were going to um be animated and everything like that was a whole ordeal as well so i decided i decided early on i wanted it to be pov because i didn't see any other way that we could possibly be seeing them in a different point of view like i i didn't think it would read as well we had to like be in the character's head and be seeing what they were saying so then it was just a matter of well what are they saying um so you know there was lots back and forth with that but we made the animators made so many uh different um deaths and they're some of them are pretty gruesome how many are there uh, how many exist gosh i don't know that are in the show in the show maybe oh gosh maybe like 40 wow. or so something people can re- can pause and replay and replay and replay yeah if they all got put in i think they did i think we managed to get most of them in but cuz wow. we originally storyboarded so many more but then we had to cut it down cuz the animators were like this is too much and, and it wasn't necessary to have that much because it's not on screen for, you know, that much time anyway. So, um, we cut it down to a reasonable number and then, but it was still a lot. And then, and then I'm not sure how many of those ended up making it, but, um, definitely pause and slow down and, 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 and see <laughs> the individual deaths because they're pretty hilarious and disturbing. <laughs> Tell me about the Akira stuff and directing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, the Akira stuff uh, was 
so Ron Rubio did a lot of it. And then um, I think Pat Keegan did some of the ending bit a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting. We, we had to figure out um, creative ways for Morty to kill <laughs> these people. Um, and, uh, you know, because he has all of these crazy Rick gadgets and right. that can do all these things that we've never seen before. So, um, I, I liked sort of a last minute addition and it was like a Justin note was he wanted Morty to like fire this beam that like slices up the car and the, the police officers into these tiny little boxes and then pop legs out and, and then they, you know, run all over the place. So, um, are there other elements to this episode that that you think people should rewind and play and pause and examine? And are there surprises? Are there things that you've hidden in there? Um, well, there is a shot in when uh, in Times Square when Morty is you know having his news broadcast, and I think um, I think Justin snuck in a Trover Saves the Universe poster <laughs> into the background of one of them. Um, so that's sort of an Easter egg. This is Mike McMahon. You're a writer on the show. That's right. I'm kind of a cheerleader. I love the show. I'm a big fan of the show. I always have been internally. So there's kind of never a bad, even on our hardest writing days, I'm just so excited to be there. And I've been mockingly called a ray of sunshine in the room by people who don't want to be there. Um, and just my sci-fi, my love of doing any sci-fi comedic stuff and this kind of wealth of, of, silly sci-fi kind of like a mix of either like soft or hard sci-fi I like bringing to it has always kind of been my place on the show. So, you know, we wanted to do an episode that addressed a little bit where things left off last season with this kind of power shift dynamic with uh, Rick and the family, because Beth and Jerry have kind of taken control back of being the, you know, maternal and, and paternal forces in the family. So you right off the bat get this moment where Rick is like, oh, we're going off to a planet called Faborgulon Prime or something scary sounding to pick up scary things. And he kind of bristles at Beth being like, ah, we better ask Morty if he wants to go. And you get this little hint. It, it doesn't hit you over the head, but just this vibe of like, oh, it's not the darkest season anymore. Like, you know, people are like, let's, let's make sure Morty doesn't get thrown into stuff as much. And then when they get there and Morty finds out about this, kind of cool, high-concept sci-fi thing that Rick uses to find out if people are about to load their new clip. And Rick, uh, sorry, and, and Morty abuses it to look into his future, this, this, this crystal that allows you to see the different ways you're going to die. You know, it was fun to kind of break this story where we knew visually on screen would have these little kind of gifts happening all the time of different funny ways of Morty dying. And if you pause and if you look around, there's like, the artist really got to flex all these funny different ideas of like potential ways Morty's going to die. So, you know, we wanted to play with that concept and yeah. see, like, you know, Harmon had such a funny, specific way of, like, if, you're, if, if Morty's really only living his life for how he's going to die, like, how does that affect you in the present? And it's never in a way that really involves living life. If you're only worried about how you're going to die, it kind of, it affects your current day-to-day -day in, like, a really, you know, stultifying, you know, arrestable way. And so... It's so funny to see how much Morty gives himself over to that to get this moment with Jessica across the episode. And then 
you know, on top of that, you have this, I love any time like a hologram is complaining that it doesn't have the same <laughs> rights as a corporeal being. And, uh, and so we're following all these different things at the same time. Um, you know, with the Morty story, eventually ending up to the point where he's becoming very anime and becoming an Akira. Yeah. And like, oh, if you give yourself up to this like unliving, like adoration of science and predictability, like you may as well just be a big tree, a big gooey tree in the desert that does nothing. Um, and that was just a funny story to tell because it started from a place of, oh, should Morty be careful about going to a dangerous place? And then what happens if you don't allow any danger in your life? So we end on that fun moment where it's like that play on that thing we've done a hundred years, rickandmorty.com a hundred years where it's like, okay, maybe a little danger is acceptable in your life. Like, you know, to live, like we end with Morty not being super safe with Rick and we get to open up to other adventures they can go on that aren't necessarily so buttoned up and like, Oh, be careful with Morty kind of vibe. And then on the Rick side, the, uh, the interdimensionality of the show is something that like is very unique to the show and it feels really good. We're always talking about, you know, from first season, that feeling of like in the episode where they're fighting the council of Ricks for the first time and they're running through the different dimensions. And it's like, what can something that only Rick and Morty can do? And it's, it's play with these kind of big, dimensionality things in a way that Rick is very, very used to. He's not thrown by this stuff. And it's rare that you get to do a complicated sci-fi thing like that, but you treat it very comedically and effortlessly. So there's a long running trope in, in these kind of dimension hopping type shows that like, you know, like on sliders, you're always going to end up in the dimension where the Nazis won. You know what I mean? Like that's just like an old chestnut of sci-fi fair. Yeah. And so Rick, because he has this map of the of the multiverse and because he's been around the bend, like, you know, he's been to these places and he knows what a pain in the ass they are. And so we wanted to do a thing where, like, you know, he kept waking up in the most pain in the ass dimension possible, which is you're naked, you're in the basement of a fascist Rick and Morty. And, you know, fascists don't often... Uh, let you be who you are, and Rick just wants to get through the day without getting shot with a tiny little interdimensional luger. So we thought it would be funny to to uh, uh, magnify the the concept of on any other show you wake up in one dimension that is run by Nazis, but what if Rick just kept waking up in more and more Nazi dimensions? It's kind of like, can I catch a break here until he finally ends up with this wasp, wasp dimension? Where the irony being that the, to me, wasps are the most disgusting creatures. It's like, take a bumblebee, which is already something that could sting you in the eye, and then turn it into something that is, can sting you without dying and doesn't produce honey and is the fucking grossest thing in the world. <laughs> like, that's what a wasp is to me. It's like nature was like, what's the fucking worst? It's like worse than a shark or dying in the deep ocean is a fucking wasp because they also like your garage. Like, I fucking hate them. I hate wasps so much. So I wanted to do a thing at the end where... Rick comes out and he's the most disgusting drawing of a wasp. And then he gets in this wasp family and they're all eating living prey and like fucking popping its babies in their mouths. But at least they're not Nazis. At the very least, he's like, okay, great. You know, Rick has seen enough of the multiverse that he's down to clown with eating, you know, baby bugs and stuff. As long as they're not going to shoot him with a Luger, like all the little teddy bears and stuff in the other dimensions did. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, the merging of those two stories is uh 
you know, what we played with with the first episode. It feels like a good welcome back. It's got enough sci-fi and enough comedy and enough enough Morty pining for Jessica and Rick kind of being hoisted by his own petard that it feels like a pretty solid Rick and Morty episode to me. I really like the moment where uh, I think there's a couple funny callbacks in this episode where where Morty's using the me-seeks and, and, and that little Nazi Morty's asking for a me-seeks. Like, it's just so funny because Rick is so, like, he hates retreading stuff. So, of course... All these Mortys are retreading stuff all the time, um, and I don't. And oh, and there's a funny thing where if you, uh, I probably should that that gro- that joke is too gross. There's a gross what? joke <laughs> when Morty's fighting that he's <laughs> he's shooting DNA ropes out of a gun and it untangles DNA. But we don't call them. It, they're called DNA ropes in the script, but never on screen. So yeah. it's kind of like a only fans of ropey DNA will call that out. And you know, I don't know. I think. Um, I really love the way this episode ends. I think I think that people will respond to just it feeling like it felt like to me like a classic Rick and Morty adventure. It felt like let's go to a planet, let's get a crystal, Morty fucks up, Rick dies, but he's coming back. There's a lot of interdimensional stuff. It just feels like this season felt like we were really having fun with what we loved about Rick and Morty and we I loved the whole divorce storyline from last season because it was a way to write stories about Jerry, who's probably my favorite character to write. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so funny to watch him make mistakes. Like, I think we all have a bit of a Jerry inside of us. And I love channeling that pathetic guy who's like, he fucks up. The one way you fuck up a week is what he does 10 times a day. You know, I just, I just think that this episode is just like, wait, why the fuck was I talking about Jerry for a second there? He's not even hardly in this episode, right? You love writing about Jerry. Oh, that this season was like, you know, it felt like a classic Rick and Morty episode because last season, the whole Jerry storyline, that was fun. Yep. Writing Jerry's fun. And we got to do new things. But now the family's back together. The gang's back together. And and we're writing stories that just feel like season one again, kind of. Like they feel like that, what I said at the beginning of this, that no wrong answer is what are we doing? What are we exploring? Kind of like... Wow. That, that Rick and Morty. I wonder why. Why is that? Is it did something, was there like a reset of some sort? I don't know. I think every season we start and it's like, okay, what did we learn that we liked last season? And I think that the the stories that were just speaking to us were ones that were coming from a place of like, we kind of have a handle on what these characters are like. We kind of know what we're doing for some long game stuff. Let's get a chance to actually kind of do things that feel like they're like standalone fun. Like they're kind of, they're like, they're like putting the pedal to the metal and just testing to see what we can do comedically and sci-fi and with these characters together where we're not servicing the thing that we felt like we had to service last season, which was like this, this divorce storyline. What do you feel a responsibility to, to look backwards? Well, yeah, I mean, a big part of the show is making sure that the stuff that we are saying is important and that we're tracking across all the episodes is important in the show. And, you know, longtime viewers of the show will have seen us putting things into the show that will slowly grow and become more important. And they've seen some of those things do that. The thing that we like about the show is what other people like about the show is that it gets to feel like a really fun, good time when you're watching it. And then it gets to be surprising in stuff that we've decided to make important. Do you track what people say? Are you, do you get on Reddit? Do you read? I used to, I Uh haven't been on the subreddit for a long time, Uh but it used to be that I would go on the subreddit. And if somebody completely guessed what we were going to do, I'd be like, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, my name is James McDermott, and I'm the art director on season four for Rick and Morty. What does the art director do? Let's 
pretend that nobody knows what's going on. Uh, kind of handles quite a bit. Um, I'm kind of supervising the color department, the design department, which is backgrounds, characters, props, effects, that kind of thing. Everything you see on the screen goes through you. Every single thing comes through me, and I have to make sure it all lines up with what the writer's uh, expectations are and trying to make sure that you know we're pushing everything as far as we can to make sure that we're you know hitting all the funny notes and making sure that we're um you know encapsulating every single thing that they want and more so let's talk about crystal what do you remember about that um trying to figure out the visions and how that how that worked um, how to go from the script to the screen on that you mm-hmm. mean well just like how many iterations how many rounds we went as far as like what's not going to distract the viewer from what's happening in real time versus like still understanding the deaths that are happening and <laughs> and getting that across um we had so many different iterations of that even when it came to final animation um that's now gone through so many rounds it looks totally different than what we had before um, this sounds like it was a hard one. Yeah, well, figuring that out was not um, it, like now it's taking on a whole new form that I like. I don't even know what the discussions have been since then. But, oh, really? But um, uh, but it, it looks great. I was really excited about it. The uh, the ferrofluid tower at the end is the one that I really we spent a lot of time on trying to perfect that, and we had to hire a outside studio to do some of the more complicated scenes uh yada is the studio name and uh we had you know just because bardell kind of had enough to do with um the visions and some of the other ferrofluid scenes because uh, there's like this 360 scene of morty as he's growing with the fluid and that all took had a very specific kind of um uh, action to it that that um, we, it took so many rounds to get that right and and to make that look good and it could have been cut you sure yeah I and mean, why wasn't it um, <clears throat> instead of spending the extra money going to an outside animation studio mm-hmm. um I, to me it's one of those cool factors that no other shows are doing really I mean I don't I don't really see anything quite like it so. Whereas, like, the rest of the episode, it's like, you know, Morty's walking down Main Street of town, and it's all stuff that we've kind of seen before, but we're following his story of being a Akira, you know, according to Jerry. <laughs> but uh, the ferrofluid part was, like, the part I couldn't wait to, you know, jump in on, and we had so many different iterations of that and what that looked like. And, um, and the final look of it was just... It, to me... Design wise, the risk that they take uh, allowing us to make that is what makes Rick and Morty to me. Like, to me, Crystal is a memorable episode. It's one of those things where it's like, that's one of the aspects of this episode that I feel like makes it memorable. Whereas, like, you know, some of the other episodes might have more um, um, things that people are, are. already familiar with and and whereas this felt this felt much more unique in that way what was the genesis of deciding to blow that scene out to blow it out yeah just to sort of make it as big as it 
is going to be I when think, it's done. I, I mean, I think if you're going to do it, you know, you kind of have to you know, go all out. And um, the particular Morty scene, the 360 scene, it's like, yeah, as soon as Bardell saw that, they're like, we can't do that. <laughs> they might have wanted to do it, but they couldn't because of time and budget. And, and you guys had to make a decision. Well, what are we going to do? Exactly. And well, it's either we dumb it down, right, and not have the full effect of of what we ended up making, or you know, spend the extra buck to get it right and make it look you know great and memorable. I think so. is that a conversation you have to have with the network? Say we want to spend extra money here. Oh yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's a, that's a producer. That's, <laughs> is, that's a producer's job. So I guess it worked out. Yeah, <laughs> although it's not done yet. No, it's not. So we're still working. We'll on see. It. The wasp scene to me is like pff, perfection. It's the, like it's being rewritten right now, which I'm a little like, oh, don't rewrite it, don't rewrite it. it like the first way it was was perfect. Uh-huh. Like to me, that's like the internet meme. That's going to be the thing that it will be popular online. Uh-huh. Um, one, the characters are just cool looking. Um, I already kind of love where that's at and, and just that whole sequence when, uh, they're eating golden fold caterpillar on the table and, and then it ends with the, you know, he squirts out a couple babies and Morty's moment was saying bonus, you know, <laughs> it was just the topper. It just felt like it added and added and added and kept and like the joke kept getting funnier. I'm Ryan Elder. I'm the composer for Rick and Morty. This I love this episode. It has a section that's very specifically referenced in the dialogue as being inspired by Akira, the movie Akira. And so I listened to the score for that, and the score for that is bonkers. It's so minimal. It's like some pitched African percussion, and that's it. <laughs> it's crazy how much mileage they get out of just this like one African percussion groove for that. So as a little nod to that in one of the action sequences towards the end, I used the Rick and Morty palette, the big cinematic orchestral thing, but I have this little pitched African percussion groove in there that's inspired by Akira just to give it a little taste of that and make a nod to the movie. Um, And then the other thing that I think was interesting about the music for that is there's a scene where Morty keeps seeing his own death with Jessica looking over him and saying, I love you, Morty. I love you, Morty. And one of the things that Dan and I talked about was to like help really make that track was to have some kind of a sweet melodic, almost emotional little piece of music that could dial in and out. Like you were dialing, you know, like on an old radio dial, you get static, 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 and then you find the music you're looking for and it kind of fades in and fades out. It's as if we're dialing in that music as Morty is envisioning as he's looking around, trying to change his actions to find this station in the static. The music kind of went with that. Up next is season four character designer, Elisa Phillips. How does a uh, character design um, assignment come to you? Uh, First, we read the script. Um, We kind of get a sense for how the characters, like what the character's purpose is. Um, Our lead will assign us, usually based on our skill sets and our strengths, they'll assign us who they think would be a good character for us to come up with. Uh, A lot of the assignments can be 
just one-off characters, characters who get killed immediately but are, like, important for a joke. So they have to have a certain look or really nail some, some like, comedic thing in that scene. Um, sometimes it's a really important character that's going to be a kind of like a, a mainstay on the show or might come back later. Um, and they really just weigh it based on uh, kind of, like, our individual, like, skill sets. What are your skill sets? Um, I would say my, my main strengths are everyone seems to say I'm really, really good at drawing women and, uh, I'm very good at turnarounds. Uh, so basically drawing the characters in 3d space when we, when it comes to the technical side. So I'm very technical. Uh, we have other people who are a little bit more, uh, good at like gore and like those, the kind of violent scenes we, we draw or characters that have a lot of, uh, kind of like grossness or, um, they're not exactly like solid. They're just like kind of bizarre. So some are more structured. Like I'm a little better with like more structured characters. Oh yeah. We got to draw a lot of Morty and Rick deaths. Oh yeah. Uh, when we were, when we were watching the premiere and got to see everything finally animated full color. Um, there's a big close up of Rick kind of just decimated by a sharp rock. Like he just gets thrown out the window and lands on it. And uh, I designed those special poses. So that's basically just like a shot on screen where the character is static in a pose that the puppet doesn't make. So I designed him in multiple angles, just completely demolished by that thing. And and it looked really beautiful, you know, full bloody beauty. Do you look to something for inspiration for that or you just generate that out of your own skull? Uh, It's it's a little bit of... uh, my own interpretation of the boards. It's my own kind of how I draw that kind of uh, like gore and viscera and everything. It's, it's a little bit of like my own style and also inspired by our designer who's incredibly good at that. So he's designed so much since season three in terms of um, just pure violent imagery and guts and everything. And we all love the way he draws. So we try to incorporate that into when we do it. Um, so a lot of it was kind of inspired by that. And um uh, Actually, he was having to draw some um, really uh, hard to look at, like interior blood and organ stuff. And he just had some of the most hard to look at, um, like autopsies on his screen. People kept seeing when they walked by. So we reference real stuff all the time. And uh, you can walk by our computers and see some really disturbing stuff. That's impressive. Do you draw caricatures or of your friends or your family? Do you, do you incorporate people that in your world into this world? Oh, um, sometimes very, very few opportunities to do it. Uh, a couple designs from season two, uh, the cleanup artist at the time when I was in color, she had designed us into the background as um, kind of like reporter characters, but it was just a background layout, which means the characters don't animate. They're just kind of static on the screen. And then this season, those like a design of her and myself, and I don't know if they were aware of this and they did the, did this, but they called those out to be turned into actual character models, which means they're going to animate and be rigged, so they'll become like puppets and move around in the show. So some free, one of our freelancers um, actually took the design of me and the design of my friend who drew us, and she that person turned them around and then like made them full builds, and I didn't even know this until. I actually watched the premiere, so I saw myself and my friend show up in the episode, and I was, like, really shocked. So I messaged my friend to let her know that both of us are going to appear in the premiere, and she's really excited. So, wow. What what scene is it? Uh, it's one of the scenes where there's 
a lot of um, like news, breaking news flashes. And so we're characters that are actually kind of like large on the screen. So I, I wear glasses and have pretty bright platinum blonde hair. And she has brown hair and a hat on like a beanie. So you might see us. <laughs> Carrie Capella is also a season four character designer. Crystal is probably the easiest, like the smoothest running show that we did out of all of the first five. Why? Uh, I don't know. It just like came natural. Like the script was solid from the start. There weren't that many rewrites. Uh, there was, it was just like a lot of fun deaths, which unfortunately is kind of like on the outskirts of the entire episode. Like you can't really see what work went into killing Rick and Morty that many times. And that was like the bulk of the work we did was just like smashing their head in or like having them eaten by plants or spiders or there's just a lot of stuff that's like blurred and on the outside that will be fun to look at. Hopefully they, they, uh, they release that as its own separate thing because that was a lot of work and it's really fun to like see them die that many times. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if that got released before the episode, I think that would have been really funny to like, do they really just die this whole episode? <laughs> yeah. How many deaths are in there? Do you think? Oh, probably like a hundred. Wow. Yeah. Cause there's, they changed too. So it's like, them dying randomly or him like seeing his perfect life where he ends up with Jessica. Um, right. Sort of. Uh, and then he, he also like antagonizes this bully or like acts too cool around this bully. And he, um, he, then he pictures all these deaths from the bully. And so there's a lot like from that specific character too. What are things that you're proud of that you want people to, to take a look at, pay attention to? golden fold caterpillar and his babies so when he's getting eaten by all the wasps rick and marty and the family um i did golden fold like as he's getting uh, like acid poured on him and all of his babies shooting out and like running away wow um yeah a lot of gross stuff in that one i did the the rick um his head being infested with the wasp babies and his head exploding uh those are probably my favorite parts are like drawing exploding heads or um, like acid being dropped on someone. Like it's very fun to think about human anatomy in that way. Uh, my name is Nick Raczynski. I'm the dialogue editor for Rick and Morty. Um, I love uh, Rick kind of being thrown into these horrible fascist alternate universes and him trying to navigate this nightmare world that he keeps waking up in over and over again. It's nice to see him as a fish out of water, I guess. Um, but the situation is obviously horrible and devolves pretty rapidly every time he's there. The shrimp scene is my favorite scene in that episode. Uh, the, not necessarily anything to do with what I did on that episode, but the character animation in it is incredible. Like, you don't see that level of detail and nuance in, like, characters with two arms and two legs. And you have it with shrimp with, I don't know, how many arms and legs do shrimp have? It's crazy. I don't know. And, like, the, yeah, the way they move and the way... Uh, their body language comes across that the shift in that scene when Rick says 
you know, you're doing me a huge favor by being shrimp instead of fascist. And the just the complete change in demeanor um, is something that Erica did an amazing job when she directed it. Like that scene is like just my favorite. It's so cool. Um, that was my first Meeseeks uh, experience where I had to like find Mr. Meeseeks stuff. And yeah. thankfully we have a dialogue library built of kind of stuff that we've marked as usable uh, in the future. Like, you know, so we have the Meeseeks episodes and the Meeseeks from, uh, there's the Meeseeks episode from season one. Justin did, you know, 10 times as many I'm Mr. Meeseeks look at me than were used in that episode. And there's uh-huh. probably a hundred used in that episode on its own. So we have the ability to pull some old Meeseeks stuff and put it into the new episode and kind of uh, make use of a big library of awesome stuff that we've created here. Does it feel intact to how it started? That one does. Mike made a great script. And obviously there are things that change when uh, Dan and Justin do their pass on it. And um, things can develop just based on uh, working with those guys or story needs things that you can see in the you can't see in the script that you can once you're looking at it visually uh, but that one's pretty close it's got a lot of um a lot of the great scenes that made me laugh in the script and that shrimp i keep going back to the shrimp but they're so awesome subscribe to the adult swim podcast wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to visit adultswim.com slash podcast to see some links to the things we talk about I'd like to thank Erica, Mike, James, Elisa, Carrie, and Nick for their time. As always, we'd love to hear from you, adultsumpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz for editing this, and to Christina Loringer for her help, and thanks to you, the listener, for listening. Mm-hmm.